Well, good morning. Um, if we haven't met, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the Chapel Sydney. Um, thank you for joining us. If you're joining us online, thank you to the two million subscribers that are joining us today. Uh, well, today we kick off our May sermon series on uh, spiritual maturity called Boys to Men. Uh, but this isn't just a sermon series for boys or men. Um, it's a sermon series for every single one of us, so don't tune out, okay? Um, whether you've started on your journey with God or whether you've been walking with God for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, um, this sermon series is going to challenge you. It's going to challenge you to mature. So what I want to do in these next couple of minutes before we get into the sermon is just lay the foundation of these next couple of weeks. Listen to what some people define maturity as. Genuine happiness when others succeed, even if you feel sad or jealous. Concern for others' well-being. Offering help just because you can. Giving a gift and expecting nothing in return. Knowing when to wait and when not to wait. Seeing your parents as people. Ooh, that's a deep one. Seeing your exes as people. Ooh, that's a... Ooh. Yes, all these may be a form of maturity and growing up, but there's a greater process that needs to take place in your journey with God, and that's your spiritual maturity, okay? Whether you realize it or not, your walk with God is a journey. It ebbs and flows as you grow in your love with God, your self-awareness and your response to life itself. And so we want to show you this month through the Word of God that spiritual maturity is actually achieved through becoming more like Jesus, Uh, The great philosopher Melissa Sunu once said, everyone gets old, but not everyone grows up. Uh, If you're wondering who that is, uh, she's first row (laughs) right over there. So when a person decides to give their life to Christ, uh, they begin a process of spiritual growth, okay? It begins with a spiritual infant. Now, we've got the, um, the slide up there. Do we? No? Is it gone? Okay. (laughs) So... (laughs) It's all right. It's just technology. So it begins with a spiritual infant, okay, like a baby. So these are those that have uh, just started following Jesus, okay, uh, and then a spiritual child, and they're typically characterized by self-centeredness and insecurity. Uh, next is the spiritual adolescent, young adult, and they are characterized by a faith that is no longer defined by an event that happens at church, okay. So the next stage of, of growth from that is a spiritual adult, And they are confident, secure, surrendered, and sacrificial. And finally, a spiritual parent. A spiritual parent is one who is able to coach and equip others for discipleship and ministry. The sad reality is that a lot of people never get past the stage of a spiritual child. Just because you've grown up in the church or just because you've been a Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it doesn't mean that you are a spiritual adult. The goal of spiritual maturity is to move through these stages of growth and become more like Jesus. So how do we get there? How do we grow spiritually? Well, there are principles and biblical truths that we need to embrace in order for us to grow, okay? We first heard, uh, the pastoral team first heard these uh, five principles from John Tyson's book, The Intentional Father, and he adapted it to show us five definitive things that have been poured into men Uh, in almost every culture to help shape them and form them from their childish ways. And the more the pastoral team mulled on these these processes, 
uh, we actually realize that culture didn't um, get these principles from experience or people. Uh, they actually stole it straight out of the Bible. So these principles are things that the very Word of God has been telling us from centuries before. And they form a great base uh, for us to grow from an infant to a parent. So the next five weeks, we're going to be focusing on these principles. And these principles are, number one, life is hard. The mature Christian accepts and embraces suffering. In order for us to grow, we need to embrace suffering because life is messy. We live in a fallen world. Everything may seem okay on the outside, but every single one of us have a story. We're all either going through something, just came out of something, or about to head into something. And every one of us will go through some sort of suffering. But the immature child resists suffering. They harden their hearts, because even though we live in a fallen world, God is still sovereign. He's still good. Number two, you are not important. To grow and mature, there needs to be a shift from caring about yourself to caring about others. This means being selfless and sacrificial. So every loving parent knows this principle. You can't grow and mature if all you're doing is thinking about yourself. It just doesn't make sense. Number three, your life is not about you. Spiritual maturity means understanding that you're not the center of the story, but you're part of the greater story. A parent understands the context of what's going on and has perspective on what is important and what, what isn't important. A trap that a lot of young believers fall into is uh, reading themselves into every story of the Bible. Making the story of the Bible about you, but it's actually about God and His glory. We're not the center of the universe. We just get to be a part of the story. Number four, you are not in control. Life is challenging. There are things that are going to come our way that we just can't control. The loss of a loved one, a health diagnosis, disappointments. Life happens and we just can't control the outcome. But we can learn to surrender to God and His plans for our lives. Number five, uh, you are going to die. Yes, a bit morbid. But spiritual maturity means understanding the shift from the temporary to the eternal. That means you are going to die. The writer of Ecclesiastes says that everything is meaningless. Everything is a vapor, a mist, temporary. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's understanding that God has given us this life on earth, but we're not home yet. These five principles are a guide to spiritual maturity. Okay? As we grow and learn these five principles, uh, to become more like Jesus, we'll learn that they're not easy, but they're essential in growing. John Tyson says, Jesus left the ease of heaven to embrace the difficulty of earth and of the cross. Jesus humbled and emptied himself, and he lived for others, not just himself. Jesus moved into a life of obscurity for us. Jesus surrendered, not trying to remain in control of his situation, and Jesus lived for eternal rewards not temporary reality. So as we do with every new uh, sermon series we start, uh, let me pray, and we'll kick it off. So let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you so much that we can sit under your word. We thank you that your word is alive and active, that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 
Lord, we thank you for this series on spiritual maturity. Help us to grow as help us to grow spiritually to become more like you. So Lord, we give you permission to stretch us, to teach us, and to correct us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was in preschool, um, I remember I used to hate wearing socks. Um, if you ever get a chance to eat dinner with my parents, um, you're going to hear a different story, but because they're not here, this is the most accurate story you're going to get today. So all the kids at school wouldn't wear socks. So I just didn't understand why I needed to wear socks. We would play in the sand, play in the water, run around, take our shoes off. So I just didn't understand why I just couldn't go to school without socks. I remember trying every day to go to school without socks. And I remember getting in trouble every day by my parents. My parents just didn't understand. They didn't understand that I needed to take my shoes and socks off to have fun. They didn't understand my little mind that I just I needed to experience the world and everything in it without socks. They were like the sock police. But day after day, the sock police would catch me, and I would be miserable. Life was hard as a four-year-old. When I was in high school, E10, I remember uh, going for my learner's driver's license. I remember walking into Narrabeen RTA on the northern beaches and registering my name, sitting down, and waiting nervously to do the test. Now, I don't know if there's a group of people... um, I don't know if there's a group for people who did this, um, who passed on their first go, but um, yeah, that, uh, yeah, amazing. So fast forward one year, right? I'm at the same RTA ready to do my PEAS driver's test. PEAS driver's test, which is the one where you drive around with a driving instructor, right? If I pass this one, it means freedom. It means I can drive anywhere I like. It means I can drive uh, to play sports, to the movies. It means freedom. So I get in the car, and the first two minutes, I fail straight away. <laughs> That's not meant to be funny, but, <laughs> but I don't know I fail straight away. And so I keep driving, I, and actually do pretty well in the test. I pass everything else. Well, I get back to the RTA, and um, I'm so ecstatic because I'm like, I passed. I know that I passed. You know, the reverse parking, and this is when... We didn't have review cameras, so if you passed using a review camera, it just means you cheated, so it doesn't really, <laughs> so you need to do it again. Um, but I, I passed. I felt like I passed. And so I hear my name, get called. I walk up to the driving instructor, uh, and he tells me that I failed in the first two minutes. I missed a stop sign driving out of the parking lot of the RTA. <laughs> my world was crushed. I was so devastated. My plans, my freedom, it was all crushed. Life was so hard. In 2018, after a short battle with an aggressive cancer, a sister who we did life with at a previous church, a sister who had a husband, two young children, she lost her battle with cancer. She was the first person I saw go through such an intense battle with cancer. The cancer devastated her family. A young woman who was healthy, she had a loving husband, two young children, 
who had no idea what was happening to their mum. How could life be so hard? You know, our community is filled with stories of people walking through suffering. We just need to look around because the, the statistics show us that we are surrounded by people who are struggling with addictions, with depression, mental health issues, physical health issues, and relational issues as well. Life is hard. From the day we are born, life is filled with trouble. Job 5, 7 says, People are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from the fire. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter where you were born, where you live, or how important you are. Every single one of us will face trouble. We just need to look around, whether it be a tsunami hitting um, and killing thousands of people, or a terrorist strike killing hundreds of innocent families, or a friend passing from cancer. We live in a broken world full of suffering. Suffering meaning the pain of state, the state of pain, distress, or hardship. It could be physical, mental, emotional. You know, we may never understand the micro reasons for our suffering, but as John Piper puts it, the Bible does give us faith-sustaining macro reasons for suffering. In the midst of that suffering, though, we get a choice. We get a choice in how we respond to it. We can choose to embrace our suffering and grow. We can choose to reject it. And as I mentioned before, uh, we're all on this spiritual journey. Whether you're a spiritual infant or a child or a parent, suffering is an integral part of growing and maturing to become more like Jesus. You know, I don't expect an infant or a child or my four-year-old self to understand why I need to wear socks. That socks are actually for my benefit. They help protect my feet from blisters and infections. You know, it's only when we mature and grow up that we begin to understand the greater picture that, yes, failing appears, it sucks. It's horrendous. But it's not the end of the world. It's actually growing. It was actually growing my patience and expanding my capacity to grow my character. And so today, as we look at Scripture, we're going to see that suffering is, a, is an integral part of growing up. And what you'll see throughout the Bible is that suffering expands our ability to grow spiritually. And so today I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to think, to think where you are at on this spiritual journey. But this is where we're going to land. To grow spiritually mature, you need to embrace suffering. There are three things that Scripture Uh, shows us about suffering. Suffering matures us to treasure God, to rely on God, and it reminds us that we're not home. So suffering matures us to treasure God above all else. 1 Peter 2.1 says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. What Peter is saying is that spiritual growth is always marked by craving for and a delight in God's Word, with the intensity with which a baby craves milk. You know, the treasuring and the craving of God's Word above everything else often occurs in the fire. And when we're faced with all kinds of hardships and, and suffering, it's in these moments in which Christ our all-satisfying treasure becomes the answer to our suffering. Suffering is one of the vehicles that God uses to purge us of the things that we're trying to hold on to. It loosens our grip on the things that we're placing above God. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is how one pastor puts it. Suffering has the power to lay waste to our idols. Suffering has a way of exposing what's really dear to us, what we feel we can't live without, what truly rules our hearts. Hardships expose our hope on the temporary treasures of this world and positions our hearts back to the Creator. It reminds us to live is Christ and to die is gain because Christ is more valuable to us than anything this world can offer. And for the spiritual infant or child, as soon as hardship suffering comes, they're quick to tighten their grip on what they have just in case they lose it. They forget that God who saved them is not stingy, but is generous and kind. The immature Christian resists suffering and hardens their heart to what God is trying to do. They don't understand that to have Christ is to have everything. That yes, life will not go our way. Life will throw out us difficult things. But if our reaction is to get upset and mope around when things don't work out, then we need some growing up to do. Number two, suffering matures us to rely on God. When my brother is at the back, when my brother was at uh, uni studying to be a chiropractor, um, I used to be his test patient. So for five years, he used to twist my arms, <laughs> put my leg behind my back and crack my neck. Why? Why? Because my brother likes to inflict pain, maybe, but the deeper reason that he does that, right, is because he believes something better is coming. The goal of a counselor or a therapist, right, is not to take you back to a difficult time in your memory or childhood uh, because they're cruel, but it's because they care about you. They care and they believe that by going there, you are, uh, you'll find healing. And their goal is to bring you to something better. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works all things, not just good things, but bad things as well. Suffering matures us to trust God. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church not to be uninformed of the troubles he had in Asia, but he reminds them that their hardships had forced them to shift their focus and rely on God. 2 Corinthians 1.8.9 says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, that that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Suffering has the power to destroy our self-reliance. It reminds us that, that we're not created to run this race alone, that we're created to be dependent on God and on others. Paul David Tripp says, Suffering exposes the fact that we're not self-sufficient, that we do, in fact, need others. The pain and weakness of suffering causes us to cry out to God, perhaps more genuinely, more deeply, and more humbly than ever before. I love that quote. Suffering causes us to cry out to God. We shift our focus off ourselves and onto the sovereignty of God. Yes, we may never understand why God allows certain things to happen, but spiritual maturity means trusting the sovereignty of God that he is the potter and we are the clay. 
The sovereignty of God meaning that he is the Lord over creation, that he exercises his rule, and his rule is exercised through God's authority as king, his control over all things. It means that everything happens according to his plan and intention. John Piper puts it like this. Sometimes we need to be reminded by God himself that there are no limits to his rule. We need to hear from him that he's sovereign over the whole world and everything that happens in it. We need his reminder that he is never helpless, never frustrated, never at a loss. We need, we need his assurance that he reigns over ISIS, terrorism, Syria, Russia, China, India, Nigeria, France, Myanmar, Saudi Arabia, and the United States. Every nation, every people, every language, every tribe, every chief, president, king, premier, prime minister, and politician, great or small. And we can also add, we need his assurance that he reigns over COVID. Romans 13.1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that ex- exist, exist have been established by God. Isaiah 46, 9 to 10. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God is the one in control. Our suffering isn't a failure of God's plan, but a tool to bring us in line with God's plan. If God is in control, then what do you think could stop God's plan from being carried out in your life or the life of someone you love? If you believed and continually remembered this truth that God is sovereign, then how might that affect your life? He raises and calms the seas. He makes the sun rise and crushes armies. Our God is sovereign and he loves us. And number three, suffering matures us to remember that we are not home yet. You know, this reality really hit home for me when my grandma passed away. I remember sitting next to her bed in the moments just before she passed. I saw her body slowly begin to shut down. And I'm not too sure if anyone's been in that situation, but everything feels so surreal in that moment. At that moment, my grandma was standing on the edge of eternity. But it wasn't until later that I realized that that my grandma is home, that she's home. She's in the presence of Almighty God, where there is no more sickness, no more heartache, no more shame, no more grief, no more depression, no more abuse, no more pain. My grandma, she is home. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This passage reminds us that this life, this world, isn't our final destination that the suffering that we're going through is preparing us for eternity. Some of us have walked through the most horrendous things in our lives, and some of us are walking through it right now. But the hardships and the loss we face are designed by God to prepare us for our eternal home. I love this quote. God is working through hardship to pry open our hands and loosen our hearts from our tight grip on the here and now. 
He's working to release us from the hope that this present world will ever be the paradise that our hearts long for. Spiritual maturity comes by embracing and accepting the truth that life on earth is temporary. If we reject that truth, our suffering causes us to become bitter and narrow-minded. We forget that God is working, that He is creating something beautiful. We're not home yet. The sorrows, the tears, the heartbreaks, God will redeem. And this is the issue that spiritual children face. They invest everything into this world, forgetting that this is just a dot in the timeline of eternity. Growing spiritually means understanding that God is working through our suffering, that He's preparing us for eternity. So be encouraged, God is working. So how do we embrace it? How do we embrace suffering well? I want to leave you with two things today, two ways you can embrace suffering. We embrace suffering with joy. If there's a regret I have in my life, um, it's the way I responded to my first breakup. Um, I wish, some people were laughing because they saw this uh, firsthand, <laughs> but I wish I'd embraced my suffering with joy. When I was about 22, 23, I experienced my first breakup with a girl. Um, and I'm really just, I was really hesitant to share this because I'm, not, I'm really not proud of the way I handled this. Um, I don't know why you guys are laughing. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just shut everyone out and everything out. And I just isolated myself. You know, I felt that my whole world just collapsed. And I was so distraught that I just couldn't see anything else. You know, I was, um, I was super mopey and angry like when a seven-year-old just gets super emotional for no reason. Um, and I deeply just regret losing that opportunity uh, to respond with joy and trust that God was actually working it all out. But I was too spiritually and emotionally mature to see that. James 1, 2 to 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, the joy that this verse is talking about is not happiness. Happiness is dependent on your circumstance. Happiness is rooted in how you feel, and we all know that feelings change every moment of every day. Joy for the Christian is rooted in Christ. It goes beyond our feelings. The reason we can be joyful in our suffering and hardships is because, as, uh, as R.C. Sproul says, the Christian is always in the Lord, and the Lord is always in the Christian. And that is the reason. That, that is always the reason for joy. Even if the Christian cannot rejoice in his circumstances, if he finds himself passing through pain, sorrow, or grief, he can still rejoice in Christ. We rejoice in the Lord, and since He never leaves us or forsakes us, we can rejoice always. So let me challenge you, don't do what I did. Don't regret your suffering. Don't lose this opportunity to respond to your suffering with joy. Are you walking through one of the toughest seasons of your life? Hold on to the truths of the Word. Hold on to the truth that our God, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Embrace your suffering with joy. And finally, we embrace suffering with community. We're not to do this journey of life by ourselves. Maturity comes when we know the importance of community. 
Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. John 13, 34, we're called to love one another in community. We're called to shoulder each other's burdens. About four years ago, um, about four years ago for you guitar fanatics, I was using a Martin travel guitar called the Martin LX2 with Corwood. Is anybody with me? No? Okay. <laughs> Amazing. So the guitar was essentially made out of wood uh, from uh, like material that you used to build a dining table. So it wasn't the best quality, um, but I love that guitar because it was small, easy to carry, um, and I bought it for super cheap. And I took care of it like it was my little baby, my little baby brother. One Sunday, um, I was packing up. I forgot the case wasn't shut. And as I lifted the guitar, the guitar came tumbling out and crack. Just both sides of the guitar absolutely shattered. Um, I was rusted on to lead worship the week after. Like, what was I going to do? Acapella? No, thank you. <laughs> um, well, the loving community that we have caught wind of what happened. And with the generosity of uh, a lot of our church guys, um, I was blessed with the finances to buy another guitar. Um, I was so grateful, so blown away by everyone's generosity. You know, this is what a community does. A community gathers around those that are struggling, those that are going through the rough seasons, and they walk beside them because we all go through things. Life isn't a one-person race. You know, for you today, who do you need to walk beside? Who do you need to come alongside and say, hey, I'm here with you. Let's get through this together. You know, we're not talking about expensive gifts or trying or anything to do with money. We're talking about a meal for the family down the road that is struggling because their kids have COVID. We're talking about a coffee or a lunch with a brother or sister who just doesn't understand what's going on in life. You know, we're called to embrace community. We're called to embrace suffering with community. Community is what helps us keep grounded. It's what helps us remember that we're not alone in our journey, that yes, we need to let community in, and yes, we need to let them walk with us, but we also need to be the ones walking with those struggling. So who can you walk beside this week? Who can you bless this week? A meal, a coffee, a thank you note. The reality is we've all got stories. We're all walking through something. And let's be the ones that walk through those that are struggling, not because we have to, but because we get to. COVID in the last two years has been absolutely horrendous. Depression, anxiety through the roof. But what an amazing opportunity it is to be the salt and light, to walk beside those that are struggling and remind them that God is good. For yourself, has your spiritual life grown in the last two years? since COVID? Or has it stayed the same? Maybe it's time to finally let go and embrace the hardships and sufferings you're walking through. Maybe it's time to let us as a community walk beside you. Maybe, maybe you've been a Christian 5, 10, 20, 40 years and you just haven't grown in your love for God. Maybe you've joined us today and it's your first time and you're not a Christian but you've heard these stories before. Wherever you're at at this stage of spiritual growth, the first step of spiritual maturity is to be born again. It's it's the acceptance of Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. The Bible says that every single one of us have sinned, that we all have fallen short of God's glory, of God's standard, all of us. There's not a single one in this room or online that is actually good. 
In fact, the only one who ever lived that was truly good was Jesus. And the good news is this. God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to become sin. The innocent, perfect sacrifice died in our place. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, and God raised him from the dead. The Bible says that Jesus suffered for us. He took on the punishment for our sin. He was mocked, beaten, rejected by those closest to him, abandoned by his friends. He was falsely accused. He was wrongly imprisoned. He was tortured, stripped naked, and hung shamefully on a cross. He became sin for us. Jesus took the sins of the world so that we could be forgiven. Jesus suffered so that we could live. Jesus embraced his suffering by giving his life on the cross for us. Jesus gave his life for you so that you could know God, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could love God back in the way that God loves you. And this is where spiritual maturity begins. It begins with saying, God, I give you my life. So let's close our eyes in prayer.